Welcome to GodPod. This is a podcast from St Paul's Theological Centre, based in St Melitus College, which is a community of people studying and teaching Christian theology here in the UK and around the world. Graham Tomlin, Mike Lloyd and the occasional guest join me, Jane Williams, in discussing God, life, theology, in fact, just about anything. Well, hello and welcome to another God Pod, and here we are. Um, this is another one. If you listen to the last one, you will realise that we um, uh, were at HTB's Focus Holiday, and uh, we're actually still here, because we recorded two together uh, at the same time. So we are in a um, little hut in the middle of a field, and it's raining outside. <laughs> Just the way a summer holiday should be in Britain. <laughs> <laughs> the rain is pouring down upon us all, but we're nice and snug inside our little studio here. And um, for this Godpod, we have uh, Jane, hello, uh, myself, Graham. Uh, we also have a special guest today, who is Dr. Sarah Schubacher. Hello. So, Sarah, wonderful to have you with us on Godpod. Yeah, this is you your first much. time. It is. Yeah. But not the last. We hope. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> so, Sarah, tell us, um, tell us what you do. What's your um, role in life, and what you do? Great. Yeah, I'm um, at Saint Melitus College, and I'm the lecturer in theology and the arts. Um, with a background actually as an artist first and a theologian second. So I, my first degree um, was an art degree, worked for several years as a professional artist. And then from that, really interested in the intersection of where Christian theology and art meet, particularly the relationship between the church and the arts, sent me off to postgraduate study to explore that more yeah. fully. Okay. And what kind of art did you do? Uh, graphic design. Yeah. So graphic design, but visual art, uh, fine art before that, and then graphic design was a pragmatic decision. Yes, so you so, might make a living yeah, yes, indeed. before you became a theologian. <laughs> indeed, yeah, right. So did graphic design mean you spent a lot of time working on computers? I did. Yeah, yeah okay, yeah. yeah. And Sarah, I know um, one of the areas you're interested in is the whole area of um, digital technology and how that affects us as people and how that's maybe changing the way we are and the way we exist and relate uh, within the modern world and how we approach that as Christians. And I suspect there's a lot of people out there who, who are quite interested in this whole area because we are so dominated by our phones and by our social media and by um, our digital interactions with each other. But there's not been a lot of reflection on actually what that is and what it's doing to us and how you think of that as a, uh, as a Christian. And I know this is something you've thought about a little bit, so we'd love to know your thoughts yeah. a bit on that just to begin to explore that one together. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think what's, where the reflection's not happened has been within so much within Christian theology and spirituality, where the reflection has happened, interestingly, has been in neuroscience and sociology. And neuroscience has demonstrated with the work that's been done on the realizing that our brains are much more plastic than we thought and that we're always constantly changing, showing that um, digital technology and our use, especially of phones, are changing the neural pathways in our mind, which then led sociology to start to look at what does this mean for how we live as humans. Um, and what's interesting is that sociology is really starting to ask the question, what does it mean for us to flourish as humans? And they're under, they're, um, what they're starting to conclude is that it's we flourish as humans in relation to other humans, which is a profoundly theological concept. And, but what, I've, what, I've, what, um, what I'm interested to think about is actually I think with Christian theology we can ground it one step further, which is to say that actually we flourish as we're formed into the nature of Christ, who was the most fully 
human human to ever to ever be here. So this to be on this earth. So this is one of the things that I have um, just been speaking about this week is is how might the spiritual disciplines help us as as designed to create these patterns, new patterns in our life that help us to be, put ourselves in a place where we can be formed like Christ by the Spirit. Um, how might they need to be reimagined for a digital age? And do you, do you see I mean, the effect of the kind of pervasive nature of digital technology for us now? You know, we find it possible to be for a moment without our phones and our persons, and we feel bereft if we go out without them, and we need our laptops and iPads and everything else. I mean, it, do you see that? And the way that we interact with each other now is a very different way. It's not just by speech, it's by tweets and emails and um, Facebook and Skype and all this kind of thing. Do you see that as a, as a, a wholly negative thing, a wholly positive thing, that change of interaction, or do you see it as a sort of mixed I, thing? I, well, I see it. I think I see it as the anthropological space that we're now in. I mean, I, I think it's probably moved beyond whether it's positive or negative to being this is the culture that we kind of now move in, have our being in, um, and that we are being formed and shaped by both consciously and unconsciously. And and I think actually that's where this that's where the conversation has gone, which I think has been really helpful. Is we're no longer in the binary of is technology good or bad, um, is technology neutral or not. I think there's a recognition that. Um, Technology is, um, some of it is designed in a way to addict us to it. I think especially a lot of phone phone apps um, are designed to, um, what neuroscience has shown is that our, our brains naturally gravitate towards that where we get an um, immediate gratification. So notifications, news feeds, Pokemon Go, all these sort of things. They, um, we are, we're naturally almost neurochemically rewarded by those things. And so we almost can't avoid being addicted to all of these things. Um, and so actually what, what's starting to happen now is the recognition that there's an ethics almost to technology design. So um, digital, those who create technology need to become more conscious of the morality or some of the, are they, are, is it right to be intentionally designing technology that addicts the user to it? But also as users, we need to be attentive to our use of it. So we need to put in place those things that can help us to, um, as was control the technology rather than be controlled. So give us some it. examples, Sarah. You were saying the spiritual disciplines mm. might actually help us mm. understand how to use yeah, it better. Yeah, exactly. So one of the things I talked about um, this week was the discipline of solitude and that um, the discipline of solitude is both inward and outward and um, and part of that is to create that time alone, an uninterrupted time where we can um, both be attentive to ourselves, but also ultimately be attentive to God and to his spirit. And um, interestingly, I mean, you see in the life of Christ that he pursued solitude and he encouraged his disciples to that. But what's interesting now is that solitude oftentimes becomes, conf becomes conflated with loneliness. So they're seen as the same thing, which actually they're entirely different. One is inner emptiness, one is inner fulfillment. That's what Richard Foster would say. And social media um, particularly um, allows us to almost get a sense, um, get a, can make us feel like we're overcoming our loneliness by being always connected. But what that ends up doing is it squashes our opportunity for solitude, which we need to really know and understand ourselves. So um, solitude means being alone in the sense of not just being physically alone yeah. with other bodies around right. us, but also actually being yeah. unconnected exactly. in some ways through exactly. Facebook, Twitter, everything else. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. one of the things I one of the things I've I've actually started doing in my own life is um, 
And reflecting on my own use of social media, um, I um, was reading reading um, through through scripture and looking at where Jesus talks about the two commandments being love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, and those two things being connected. And then in Deuteron- Deuteronomy 6, where Jesus is, um, was referring to, it talks about um, re- uh, meditating on those commandments um, as you lie down and as you wake up. And then it made me think about, well, what is the last thing I look at when I go to sleep and the first thing I look at when I wake up? And actually, it's my phone. Um, and it's BBC News or it's whatever. And it's your messages or it's your emails. And I thought, actually, those spaces throughout that kind of when you lie down and when you wake up throughout scripture, those are sacred spaces that seem to be set apart for meditation on God. Um, and then a lot of the other spiritual disciplines kind of slot into those places. So like the examine, reflecting on what in this day has given me life or, or whatnot. And and so for me, it's had to actually been, I've had to be quite intentional about making physical spaces for solitude. So I then charge my phone downstairs and keep it out of my bedroom. Because otherwise, it, it is feel addictive. It's almost this compulsion. I can't, even if, especially if you use it as an alarm clock, you can't not be distracted by all the messages that have come in in the day. And then over time, that habit of checking your phone just means that these little... Um, Foster talk, Richard Foster talks about who wrote the book Celebration of Discipline, which is one of the things, one of the texts I've been drawing on, talks about one of the things we need to do is to redeem the little moments of solitude that are present throughout our day. And I think that's the danger of the phone is that it just sort of squashes all of those little moments of solitude. And even after the, after the seminar I gave here at Focus, um, talking to someone who was there and she said, um, all of a sudden she began to see these little moments of solitude. So when you're in a queue waiting for coffee, before you would sit and scroll through your phone, all of a sudden you then become attentive to who's around you, who's in the queue, or attentive to God and and praying or, or whatnot. So, so I think that's one of the things that um, I think we we have to. Prob- I think that's one of the ways the disciplines can help us to just become a bit more attentive to um, to how these different forms of technology are forming and shaping us. And that's that's really interesting and, and helpful. And um, But it is suggesting that the, that the spiritual disciplines mean we have to put down the technology. What Are there actually ways that we can use the technology helpfully? Um, um, uh, I mean, it's easy to think of the examples of it being badly used. You see people sitting together, each of them on their phone, <laughs> um, uh, and you think, well, why are they not taking advantage of being together? But are there actually um, ways in which we can use it well for our own flourishing, given, given that, as you say, this is the world that we're actually in? Yeah. Um, I'm very struck. Um, obviously, I'm, the t- technology is not natural to me. I'm a, um, the kind of age where I've had to learn how to do it. But my children, for whom it is natural... You the quill pen. It, uh, that is my preferred modus operandi. <laughs> um, uh, but my children, for whom it is natural, who grew up in that world... Um, I'm very struck at how much they use it to take care of each other. Mm. So they can actually, um, you know, be there for each other when they can't be physically there in a way that we couldn't mm. when we mm. were mm. younger. So it, uh, it would be good to think of positive, yeah. um, you know, Christian ways of using yeah. it as well as uh, Christian ways of not using yeah. it. Yeah, no, sure. And I think, I mean, there are inevitably also, you know, loads of tools or resources that are available for which our phone becomes then and a point of access yeah. to whether it's the Bible on your phone or or whatnot. Um, Common worship morning yeah, prayer. Exactly. Um, <laughs> we all use it. Yeah. Um, but I suppose I suppose part of what I what I was thinking about is um, 
one of the things that uh, Sherry Turkle, who's a sociologist that I've been drawing from, she talks about the enchantment of theology of technology, yeah. and and actually sometimes it's it's not that it's not that um, the goal is not to n to do away with it, but the goal is to be aware of where it's almost enchanting us, making yeah. us. Um, almost pursue a life. She talks about how the technology can make us forget about what we know life to be. Mm -hmm. And it's almost, it's, it's, it's not doing away with it, but it's it's recognizing that we are vulnerable to some aspects of it and and just trying to um, to be just more much more conscious about mm -hmm. that. Because I think oftentimes we kind of get caught up in the narrative that that which is new is good and we just sort of kind of carry on and and it's changing so quickly we're not actually sure how it is forming and shaping us but it is that sort of critical thinking you're talking about of how can it be used for the positive um, but also being aware of where it might be to pulling us away from from hmm. um, from positive more yeah. positive um, interactions because yeah. I suppose it's yeah I guess there are a lot of people who um, I mean we all love our technology and we do our you kind of almost can't live without it now um, but who actually experience it as a form of imprisonment because you know you think of the relentless nature of email that is just constantly coming into your inbox and you try and push it back like sort of King Canute trying to kind of push back the, the waves and it whatever you do it just keeps coming and you never can seem free of this 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 relentless wave of information communication coming at you and um, and that does feel like a kind of imprisonment. It feels like you're sort of caught in this web that you can't get out of. And I think a lot of people do feel that. Um, so I guess, I guess you know, if, if there are people listening to this who feel, yeah, I recognise that. You know, what are some of the strategies, the ways of doing that, of of, of addressing that? Particularly even from a Christian perspective, I wanted to say actually that we want to live our lives with Christ as Lord, not my phone, um, not the email, not the not not social media or whatever, what, what does that actually look like and how one might one um, put in place the sort of um, um, boundaries around that, that, that that don't, as you say, put it to one side because, as you say, that's the nature of the world we live in now. You can't mm -hmm. kind of live without it. It's the kind of culture that's there, but makes it not a master but a servant. Mm -hmm. And I suppose what the real challenge of part of what you're saying, Sarah, is that it um, it is formative. Mm -hmm. It is shaping us. Mm -hmm. And like everything else that shapes us, we have a measure of choice mm -hmm. if we realise that's what's happening. Yeah. So the, yeah. how we spend our time, how yeah. we spend our money, how exactly. we, uh, where we give our attention yeah. is making us the person that we are becoming. Yeah. And I think that's actually really key is that, is that we do have a choice. Because mm. sometimes you can feel like, oh, I, I, I can't turn my phone off. I don't have the choice, you know, for whatever reason. And of course we do. We're choosing, choosing that. Um, and maybe we need to interrogate why we feel like we don't have a choice and what's happening. But I, I think that I think this kind of going back to this sort of onslaught of information. I, for me, that's one of the things that it would be interesting to think. I'd, I'd like to think more about is what role does Sabbath play in that? Because because I think almost it feels like now Sabbath is not just about rest, but it's about plugging the information. Like how do we put a plug in it so that it's just not this constant barrage um, and that's one of the things that's been interesting about how our relationship to information has changed is I mean before I think especially before phones um, or before before smartphones specifically if we wanted to find something out we were seekers of information we had to go to the library look at encyclopedia or we had to even when we had to go to a computer and google something um, 
Whereas now, I think with the way that phones are, we are in some ways we're, we've left the communication channels open, and we're just receiving information all the time. So we were kind of moved from being not always, but in some ways moved from being seekers to being passive receivers of it. And so, and and then what we've, I think, what we're also probably losing in the midst of that is that capacity to discern what is good information because we're just receiving it. So it's just piling up, and and how do we then know well, this is good and this is not because before we would be a bit I think that process of seeking requires us to do discernment in the process of where do I choose to go and seek out information and the information that we get is increasingly information that that is shaped around what what media thinks we're interested in so again the range of information although it's a huge the quantity is massive the range tends to diminish doesn't it so and again if you were a seeker you might bump into things um, that that challenged your perspective on something that 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 you weren't expecting, um, and and that might actually broaden your horizons. It, I, I do find it fascinating to see what my computer thinks I'm interested in. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, um. yeah. Yeah, mine just thinks I'm interested in football. So it has a point. It does have a bit of a point. It has to be said. Yeah. But um, one of the area I'm quite interested in is what is. Um, I mean the the, the pervasive of pervasive um, presence of the screen for us, mm. in that now we access enormous amounts of information through screens. We were saying earlier on how very often we pray through mm. apps. Mm. So, for example, I, you know, first thing I look at when I get up in the morning, I try not to look at Twitter and try not to look at my email. But first thing to I do morning prayer. But I use my iPad to. To, uh, and my app, which which gives me the readings and the prayers for for, for, for morning prayer, so I do actually look at a screen first thing. Um, again, very often when I'm reading my Bible now, um, I use it on my iPad because I can search and I've got the Greek text and the and the, the English and and I can have got different versions and I can you know there's a, it's it's so much more usable in a way than mm-hmm. a, than actually a book. Um, or several books, which it would be if you were exactly. That's right. Yeah. yeah, you used to have about sort of five books to do morning yeah. prayer, you know. Yeah. But now you can do it all in one place. But I, I wonder sometimes what that does to the to the the, the aspect of reading. Mm-hmm. And you know, we now read on Kindles and we read on on screens, which does feel a different experience from actually handling a book. And I know there's this kind of nostalgia about books and the smell and all that kind of thing. But I suppose in a deeper sense, do you think there's a difference between accessing information via a screen and actually the kind of older technology of the book itself? I'll draw from my actually graphic design days then because I think there's an intentionality to how the words have been laid out on a page in a book. Which you, so you lose all sense of context when you're reading it yeah. on a screen. Yeah. Because I think for anyone who's done research, I think there's something quite magical about these old books that you know have been yeah. like... The sort of those the scholars or whoever have gone before you have also touched these pages and used these, mm-hmm. used these books. And so you... You lose something of the particularity, I think, of the text because everything becomes the same and the text is all the same, like the, the font is all the same. So, um, I mean, it's, I think it's, I suppose in some ways what you lose in one hand you gain in the other. So what you gain is a convenience and the fact that we're now not carting around, you know, loads of heavy books with us. But I think what we lose is that sense of the, the tradition that has pre-existed mm. me in the, so, and we lose the embodied sense because I was it. very struck obviously the, the listeners can't see yeah. you but while Sarah was talking about reading she was demonstrating yeah. just, mm. um, with her hands turning mm. pages there was mm. a sort of 
um, a much more involvement mm. of your whole body mm. than if you were just pressing yeah. one. Yeah, and I think also like with the biblical text, even you see, you can able you're able to see on a page what relates to yeah. what yeah. Yeah. because you have like oh this this parable is connected to here because you so you can see yeah. but much much more in its wider. Yeah. Also, even when you're reading a novel, um, it's a big big difference. You know, when, when you know your when you know your um, you know two thirds of the way through the book <coughs> because. You, you feel the book and you kind of know you've yeah. read two-thirds of it, there's a third to go. You kind of know you where you are in the story in a way, whereas if it's on a screen, you could be almost anywhere and there might be a little bit at the bottom that says you've got, you know, it's on Not page 1,643 1, yeah. sort of pages of it. Yeah. But actually you don't get that sense of the context of the book. And I think the other thing about it, I, I've reflected this on sometimes, I've sometimes in church seen people do the reading from their phone. And um, I remember thinking, you know, is that okay? Because obviously it's the same words... But sometimes I do think, you know, when you, when you read from a phone, you, you could almost be reading from anything. And there's something about reading from the Bible, this actual book with all the other canonical books within it. And that's the only place it's coming from. Actually, when you read from a phone, it could be anything. It could, you could be reading from the Bible. You could be reading from a, a novel that you've downloaded. You could be reading from a website. So it does subtly shift the sort of context of, of, of what's being read. But it's hard to tell how much of that is is talking about our, you know, the, the kind of age that we actually are. I mean, if you think about um, the people in the third, fourth century, most of them would not be reading a book. True. Yeah. Um, they would be listening. Or, um, and so, I mean, technology has changed yeah. throughout yeah. the centuries. Um, I mean, a lot of people think that one of the, the great converting things that Augustine brought, Augustine of Canterbury brought from from Rome was this illuminated book of the Gospels mm. which looked like such flash technology mm. to the people who, <laughs> that he first met in, 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 mm. in the benighted coasts that we now inhabit um, that, that they were in a way enchanted by the technology that they thought this was what gave him his power, part of what gave him his power and so it's easy to be sort of nostalgic um, and I think that's it, that's the really tempting thing for for people of my generation to to be. Oh, we, back in the old days, we talked to each other. And all. So, it, but but if what we're really saying is we this is the world we inhabit, then what we are looking for is 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 patterns for human flourishing using this. Um, and I mean, I suppose, and ethics of it. I, I'm, I'm always very struck at how people allow themselves to say on digital media things they would never yeah. say face to face. Yeah, and I mean that, and that's I think what's interesting about that is I think there's something in that about the embodiment that actually our bodies have intrinsic value, and what you I mean this is something that that they're demonstrating quite significantly is um, we need we need embodied face-to-face -face communication to develop empathy. Mm. So what, um, what you, I mean, you're seeing this especially within children who um, empathy is not developing because what's, what used to happen is that child A says to child B something that's hurtful, mm. child B's face crumples, and child A thinks, oh, I don't like how it makes me feel when child B's face crumples, so I therefore won't do that again. But once you lose that, I say something hurtful to someone I can't see, I don't actually get any feedback, yeah. and that actually makes me feel quite good because it gives me power. Yeah. And, then, um, and then we're not, so we're not actually developing this sense of empathy or self-reflection, because I think the, you know, another significant I think, um, thing about humanity is that you know, we're dependent upon the other to really understand ourselves. And, and I think it's probably an embodied other rather than just a 
you know, a digital mm-hmm. other that I, who I will never know. So I think there's some, there's some particularities, I think, of digital technology that we probably need that are, that are new to, I mean, we're asking now new questions about what it means to be human that I don't know if we've ever asked before because mm-hmm. so much of our life experience is being mediated to us in sort of disembodied mm-hmm. forms. And that says something about, doesn't it, about you know, when God communicates to us, he communicates in, in clearly the, the physical body of Christ, yeah. but actually the face of Christ. And that idea of the face of Christ, God communicating himself to us in a, in a face, um, a face that has emotions and, and expresses itself and, and, and that ability to, to, to relate to God. We, we, we kind of relate to God instead of through the, through the face of Christ. It's in the face of Christ that we see God's mercy and kindness and goodness and justice. And, and judgment. So. I mean, that, the, one of the great things the New Testament says is it, it is the face of Christ that, we'll, that we will see when we come to judgment. We will see, that, uh, you know, what we were describing, how we have hurt each other in that, in that face. And wouldn't it be extraordinary if we got to judgment and couldn't tell <laughs> because we had so detached yeah. ourselves from each other. Yeah. That, that's a, a, a terrifying thought, yeah. isn't it? And I think then, and the Gospels are so clear to, I mean, the post-resurrection Christ is body, is yeah. body and as fully body as he was before and ascended, and in, in Christ ascended to heaven in his body. And so I think it, it's still a really, it's a significant thing that I think, I think, I think as Christians, we, we need to fight for that which is, humanizing and I think the danger um, it doesn't have to lead this way of course but disembodiment I think can slip into dehumanization much more quickly than you know embodied um, communication disembodied yeah you you can't tweet God can you you can't text God I suppose you can yeah you can't tweet bread and wine either you can't Mm. tweet holding hands you can't Yeah. the kiss yeah. of peace yeah. and it has its value it, yeah. has its, yeah, you know, it can create relationship yeah. which otherwise you, you, you don't I mean I, I met someone this week that I've had a sort of Twitter relationship mm-hmm. with for several mm-hmm. years I would never have known him if yeah. it wasn't mm-hmm. for the, that and it was a really good thing to be able to actually meet him in the flesh mm-hmm. as it were but in some ways um, it's what you're saying is that that relationship has sort of culminated yeah. in an embodied yeah. one Yeah. but and that's almost, almost the pinnacle yeah, of that is. relationship coming to fruition exactly. and there's something much more complete yeah. and full yeah. about seeing someone face to face and yeah. sitting down having a coffee with yeah. them rather than yeah. just the occasional tweet every now and again exactly and, and I think we, int- we know that because I mean, I mean my parents live on the other side of the Atlantic if Skype was sufficient, mm. I'd never need to go and visit yeah. because I can see them and mm. I can talk to them. Mm. However good the technology exactly. is, it but never I, quite replaces exactly. it. Exactly, and so I, I, I want to go home because I want to be in their presence. Yeah. And yeah. that is fundamentally different. And we mm. know, I think we know that, and we know that's what mm. we're ultimately created yeah. for. But it presumably can give us a, a bigger vision of... I mean, people in the other, across the world are real people to us now. It can give us a sense of, of the, the kingdom of God in which all, in which all races and types are, 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 are going to be present. But it needs to be, we need to do that deliberately um, and use it deliberately and formatively and think about what it's doing to us and, what, and how, we, how we want it to shape us. Yeah. Yeah. And you talked about Sabbath as a key um, discipline. Are there any other particular disciplines you would want to, to to recommend to people listening to this thinking, okay, I've got a bit of an issue here, I'm a bit addicted to my phone, I'm mm-hmm. a bit addicted to social media, I need to do something about mm-hmm. it. W- what else would you say to those people? I mean, the other one I talked about was simplicity. Um, mm-hmm. And what I found particularly interesting 
um, is how Richard Foster defines simplicity in opposition to duplicity. So, um, so it's not it's not just a, a asceticism about things, and it's not about just not it's not about the not having um, possessions, but it's about integrity, and that and and I thought it's quite interesting um, that. The, I think one of the things particularly that social media allows is it allows us to slip into duplicitous living quite um, without quite realizing it. I mean, because we, um, Facebook, Instagram, all these things allow us to curate our public So you present life. an image of yourself, yeah. which is not necessarily true exactly. to who you really are. Or it's only a portion. Okay, partial. You know, so it, yeah. And so it's not, it's, it's almost like the truth and the lies are so close together, you can't okay. almost discern right. between the two. Um, and so one of the things you know I've I've been thinking about is um, is what does it mean to have integrity online? And I think mm. as Christians we're held to account for who we are online. It's mm. not this kind of alter- every bit as much as exactly. we are in our normal relationships exactly. with one another in bodily terms. Yeah, and so I think it's I mean it's almost going to the to the po- point of does our accountability need to extend to mm. how am I perceived online? So mm. do we need to ask trusted you know, Christian yeah, friends, directors, t- directors friend. to say, yeah. how am I perceived yeah. online? And how, you know, and, and almost the discipleship extending to that sphere. Because I think in, it's, in some ways our discipleship is still who am I in my physical body, mm-hmm. but am I held to account for who I am in this online um, persona? And, um, and I think that it's that bringing, it's, it's having, it's living in, with integrity so that who we are in the social media world is the same as if you met me in the physical world, yeah. we wouldn't be thinking, oh, that's... And that's increasingly true for, for, for people who, for whom that is a dominant space in which they live. I remember very, you know, there's, there's the film Birdman, where there's a fascinating in, in, engagement between this, this father and a, and a daughter, and the daughter is basically says to the father, you don't have a Facebook page, you're not on Twitter, you don't exist. Right. And for her, that's where existence happens, that's where you exist now, and increasingly for that, for a kind of generation for whom that that is part of existence, just very much as much as physical existence, but that has to include discipleship too. Sarah, thank you so much. It's been a really fascinating discussion, and um, so um, thank you, Jane, again. Lovely to be here. Thank you, Sarah. Pleasure. Thank you. And um, thank you all for listening. And we'll be back again with another call pod soon. GodPod, a podcast from St Paul's Theological Centre. If you want to send us a question, just email it to godpod at htb.org. We can't promise to answer all the questions you send in, but we'll certainly try.